Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 41. Last week, I wrapped up the history of Ramses II, the second most likely pharaoh of the Exodus. This week, I'm covering the pharaohs that come after him in about as much detail as there is available. These, specifically, are Nepka, Seti II, Amenmes, Siptah, and Queen Tusaret, ruled between 1213 and 1189 BC, so roughly the first half of the Desert Wanderings, assuming the Israelites did leave under Ramses. If they exited Egypt at the earlier date, they would have been settled in Canaan by the time these rulers took the throne. But as I've covered, the Egyptians still held great sway over the region. I'll get to more of that at the end of this episode. And either way, these Egyptian rulers impacted the lives of the Israelites. After this episode, I'll press the accelerator again and cover the Egyptians in less depth, but slow down when they have great influence over the events of the Old Testament. And having said all of that, let's get started. After the great Ramses was his son, Renepta, and considering that his dad was about 90 when he was finally wrapped in linen, it should come as no surprise that Merneptah had seen more than his fair share of Nile flooding, about 60 such of the annual events. What is surprising is how far down the list he was to become the next pharaoh. Think back to the last episode, when I mentioned that it's currently believed Ramses had somewhere in the neighborhood of 52 sons, well, Merneptah was lucky number 13, and that's what happens when your dad rules for a very long time. You have to outlast everyone before you get your chance to sit at the head of the table. And it makes me wonder how disappointed number 14 was. Anyway, Merneptah was the fourth ruler of the 19th dynasty of ancient Egypt, ruling for about 10 years. He was married to a woman who was most likely his full sister. He had other wives and several children, including one who may have tried to illegitimately seize the throne when he died. More on that in a bit. Given his advanced age when he came into power, and that there's a real high likelihood that he did not ever think he would be king, he had several lower administrative positions for the 40 or so years of adulthood prior to ruling. When he was 33 years old, he was promoted to a position titled Overseer of the Army. It's a safe assumption, but an assumption nonetheless, that this job was the commander of the military, so fairly lofty. Fifteen years later, when his dad was about 80 years old, but still over a decade away from taking the throne, he was declared the crown prince. After becoming the heir apparent, Merneptah was given additional responsibilities, essentially becoming the prince regent for his elderly father. How much authority he wielded at this time, though, is not known. Merneptah, despite ruling only a few years, especially when compared to his father, was active militarily. Well, given his advanced age, he probably stayed at home, but he did send his troops far afield to wield Egyptian power. Sometime prior to his fifth year, a steely claims that he destroyed Israel, claiming that, quoting, 
Israel has been wiped out. Its seed is no more. Obviously, that was a bit overblown. And this is the first document in ancient Egypt that records the existence of Israel. And it wasn't a mere passing reference. In his fifth year, he fought the Libyans, who were allied with the Sea Peoples. In this campaign, there was a six-hour battle in the Nile Delta, near the city of Parai. The exact location of the city is not known, but given that it was a battle involving Libyans, it's assumed to have been on the western side of the delta. Inscriptions claim that the Egyptians killed 6,000 soldiers and took 9,000 prisoners, and he had a somewhat unique method of assuring his soldiers did not inflate the numbers. He had them bring back a, um, certain body part of each enemy debt. And I'll just leave it at that. Internally, Merneptah abandoned his father's capital city of Pi Ramses and relocated the country's capital back to Memphis. In this city, he constructed a royal palace next to the temple of Ptah, his namesake. The palace would be excavated in the 20th century. Similar to his father, Merneptah suffered from arthritis, along with a condition known as anthrosclerosis. This affliction is when the inside of an artery narrows due to the buildup of plaque. The latter may have been a contributor to his death in 1203 BC, when he was about 70 years old. He was originally buried in the Valley of the Kings, but, like so many others from the era, his mummy was not found there. It was finally located in 1898, along with 18 other mummies in the tomb of Amenhotep II. And it should be no surprise that when it was found, it was unwrapped and examined. He was about 5 feet 7 inches tall, so 171 centimeters, and the same height as his father. He was almost completely bald, with only a narrow fringe of white hair remaining on the temples and the back of his head. He slightly resembled his father, but more closely resembled his grandfather, Seti I. And that's about it for Merneptah. And that would normally get me to his successor, but in his case, there was a fight for the throne. His rightful heir was Seti II, but a usurper appeared, and his name was Amenmaze. I'll cover him first. His origins are a bit murky, but he's believed to either have been the son of Merneptah or Ramses. His signature has been interpreted as the ruler of Thebes, which is very specific, not the ruler of Egypt. The common theory is that he was not Merneptah's intended heir. What is not known is how he came to control part of the country. It's possible that the crown prince was away, maybe on a military mission when Merneptah died, and Amenmaze seized the throne in a manner that seems to happen every now and then in ancient Egypt. I guess the lesson is, if you're ever the crown prince, and the reigning ruler comes down with the cold, don't go on vacation, or even a business trip. Stay close to home. And it was a confusing time, similar to what would have been seen well, in reality, what would happen without being recorded during an intermediate period? 
but we're still in the New Kingdom. An examination of various inscriptions shows that Seti II was recorded as the ruler, then his name was replaced with Amenmes. So, it would appear that Seti took the throne and then was ousted, at least ousted as the ruler of Upper Egypt. And the Seti was installed first theory has the usurper gaining power in Seti's second year, maybe. This has Amon Mays ruling the upper portion of the country and his name inscribed on monuments as such for a couple of years, most likely in Seti's second through fourth year. Amon Mays' control may have even extended as far as Nubia. At the same time, there are no monuments in this region and during the couple of years that mention Seti. So, logic would lead us to believe that Amon Mays did rule at the time. Adding to the mystery for us moderners, and certainly to the tension at the time, is that Seti had already had his tomb built in Thebes, or at least it was in the process of being constructed. Then his brother slash son slash somebody took control of the region. And Amon Mays would have someone vandalize his rival's tomb, surely as a prelude to the robbers you know are coming at some point in the next few thousand years. Seti, as you know he had to do, would later have his tomb restored. And about this pseudo-king, Amon Mays, a couple of researchers have proposed that, prior to seizing the throne, he had served as the Kushrite viceroy. This theory is based on the similarity of names. Of course, other researchers do what other researchers do, and point to evidence that contradicts this theory. Around the same time, a legendary story appears in Egypt, known as the Tale of Two Brothers. This myth, tale, whichever, was preserved on papyrus. It tells of two brothers who are in a sort of competition with each other, a competition that also involves several of their deities. I'll spare you the actual narrative, as it's a bit difficult to follow, especially given our lack of societal context, and that we typically eschew multiple deities. But the reason I bring it up is that it dates to Seti II's reign, and can be interpreted as being loosely based on the competition between Seti and his potential brother Amon Mays. Should you want further details, or to read it yourself, a quick Google search will yield more than enough results. Now, we are reasonably certain that Amen Maze's mother is Queen Takhat, but honestly, that really doesn't help much in identifying him, since we don't really know who she is, or was. At least not yet. There are a few inscriptions that list her as being the daughter of a king and that king may have been Ramses II, or Merneptah, but that's a bit speculative. There is a list of princesses from Ramses' 53rd year that lists someone by the same name, and this name was not mentioned on earlier lists, so Ramses' 53rd year is possibly the year of her birth, or maybe when she reached adulthood. And even if she wasn't Merneptah's daughter, she may have been Ramses' granddaughter, and if this is true, Amon Mays would have, of course, been Ramsey's great-grandson, and therefore, at least minorly royal. Of course, Seti was also Ramsey's grandson, 
So Amon Mays may have been about the same age as Seti. Then, there's a curious monument from the Karnak Temple. When Amon Mays sat on the throne, controlling part of the region, part of the region he controlled included Karnak. This monument was originally inscribed with the relief of a woman titled King's Daughter and King's Mother, presumably the same woman who was his mother. When Seti finally ousted Amemes from the region, the original inscription was carved over and reinscribed from mother to wife. Another statue of Seti has Seti's name written over someone else's name, while the name Atakhat was left alone. This implies, at least to some, that Takhat was married to Seti, as well as mother to Amon Mays. Still, other researchers believe Takhat was one of Merneptah's wives, which would make Seti and Amon Mays at least half-brothers. Did you follow all of that? No quiz, no worries. We do know that Amon Mays was finally ousted, but the circumstances of this are completely unclear and unknown. Adding to the intrigue is that his mummy was not found with all the other ones at the mortuary temple at Hatshepsut, and his tomb in the Valley of the Kings had been desecrated. Inscriptions from the time do indicate that his mother, Takhat, was interred in the same tomb as him, and the desecration was presumably by agents of Seti. But he was not alone in having his tomb destroyed. The tombs of several officials associated with Amon Mays were put asunder, including the Theban high priest of Amun. It's assumed these officials faced their consequence due to supporting him. Now to be clear, his tomb was rediscovered when modern Europeans came a-searching. And in his tomb were three mummies, two women and a single man. But there's no evidence that these are Amon Mays, Takhat, or anyone else. They could have even been placed in the tomb at a later date. I'm going with the theory that these mummies were placed there later, as I think Seti would have been completely thorough in his destruction and had the mummies removed. But for clarity, my theory is based on nothing more than speculation into Seti's motives and state of mind. Adding to the mystery is that artifacts that had been previously found in the tombs of Seti I, who died much earlier, and Ramses VI, who died much later, were found in his tomb. Just a complete jumbled mess. And that's about all that's known of this temporary regional usurper. Of course, ruling concurrently with Amon Mays, but in Lower Egypt, was Seti II, and while Amon Mays only managed to eke out two or so years, Seti didn't do much better, having ruled for close to six years between 1200 and 1194 BC, a reign so short that his tomb wasn't complete when he passed. Like I alluded to earlier, Seti appears to have ruled singly all of Egypt for about his first two years. Then Amon Mays took over Upper Egypt, how Seti came to regain control has been lost, as has been the record of almost all of his accomplishments as king. We do know that he expanded the copper mining in the Timna Valley in Edom, now located in the most southern part of Israel, near the Red Sea. In this same area, he built a temple to Hathor, 
their cow goddess. This temple ended up being abandoned in the Late Bronze Age. After that, it was taken over by Midianite nomads, who appear to have worshipped a bronze serpent idol discovered in the area. Seti would have a few other temples built, but other than that, and his struggle with Amon Maze, whoever he was, that's about all we know of him. He did have several wives, including one named Takhat, who, like I mentioned, was possibly the mother of his rival king. Or maybe she just shared a name with the usurper's mom. Like almost all other kings of that place and time, Seti was initially buried in the Valley of the Kings. Sometime during the Third Intermediate Period, his mummy was moved from this tomb and was placed in the huge royal cache where it remained until its rediscovery around the turn of the 20th century. Shortly after that mummy treasure trove was uncovered, a small trove was discovered in his original tomb. This tiny room contained a small collection of jewelry that was marked with Seti's name. This jewelry included a set of earrings, finger rings, bracelets, necklace ornaments and amulets, a pair of silver gloves, and a tiny silver sandal, all missed by thousands of years of grave robbers. Which gets me to his mysterious successor, Sipta. So, why is he so mysterious? Well, we don't know who his father was. It could have been either Seti or Amon Maze, which, if it were the latter, would be a really intriguing twist. All signs point to him not having been the crown prince of Seti. His chosen royal name, though, suggests that Merneptah was his father. And if this is true, then he was Seti's brother, either full or half. His mother was probably Sudella, which would make him Seti's half-brother. And if Sutella was his mother, she, at least given her name, appears to have been a Canaanite, not a native Egyptian. And for this reason, or that he may have been the son of a usurper, either way, the next dynasty, the 20th, would view him as being an illegitimate king. Or there's a third possibility, that the next rulers would have cause to consider him unworthy, and that's that they needed a reason to claim the throne. Power, after all, breeds corruption. And there's something else. He was a child when he took the throne, maybe only 10 or 11 years old. So he needed a regent, and his stepmother, Queen Regent Tusret, would fill this role. We do know a small amount about how he came to power. A figure known as Chancellor Bey publicly bragged that he was instrumental in installing Sipta on the throne. These boastings can be found on several inscriptions, including a stele set up by the Viceroy of Kush at Gebel el Sicilla. This location is on the Upper Nile in a narrow cliff-sided valley, today in southern Egypt. Another inscription, located at the entrance to the Spios of Horemheb at Gebel el Sicilla, depicts this chancellor standing in a pose of adoration directly behind Sipta, who is making an offering to a moon. The actual text reads, or at least is translated to, The spirit of the great superintendent of the seal of the entire land, who established the king, 
meaning Sipta, in the place of his father, beloved of his lord, Bay. End quote. I guess he felt the need to take credit. Of course, not knowing that in the future, future leaders would consider the installation of the child king an erasable mistake. And while we're discussing him, a quick sidebar. Bey was a significant Syrian official who rose to prominence in high office under Seti II. He later became an influential power broker towards the end of the 19th dynasty. Bey's importance is emphasized by the fact that he was given permission, maybe by Seti, but more likely by Sipta, to construct his own tomb in Egypt's Valley of the Kings. His tomb was clearly constructed as part of a triad of tombs, including that of the pharaoh Sipta and Queen Tusrept. This was an unparalleled honor. Rarely was this done for a commoner, even more rarely for a foreigner. While his exact background is unknown, Bey is first attested to as scribe and butler, an important position in Egypt, during the reign of Seti II. He likely had been in civil service long before then. When Seti died, Bey had risen to the post of Chancellor, essentially playing the role of Kingmaker. It's currently unknown what event or palace conspiracy brought about Bey's sudden downfall, but the key beneficiary of his death appears to be Tusaret, who assumed the throne without opposition a year later when Sipta died. More on her in a minute. This Chancellor Bey would later fall out of favor of the royal court, possibly for overextending his authority, probably in the fourth year of Sipta's reign, as that's the last inscription he appears on. In fact, he fell so far out of favor that he was executed the next year, assumably on the orders of the king, who was about 15 years old at the time. We learned that at the time, Bey was having his tomb built, and the king ordered the workers to halt construction, since no tomb was necessary for a traitor. Yes, he fell out of favor, to say the least. Unfortunately for Sipta, and also maybe for anyone in his court, he would only rule for about six years before he died. He was initially buried in the Valley of the Kings, but his mummy was not found there. Shocking, I know. And I'm sure you can guess where it was found, in the tomb of Amenhotep II. And his mummy is that of a youth about 16 years old. This mummy also shows he was about 5 feet 3 inches or 160 centimeters tall. This would make him several inches shorter than many of his predecessors. But like several of the previous rulers, he did have curly reddish brown hair. He possibly suffered from polio, and also had a severely deformed and crippled left foot. The foot disorder has been seen in several mummies from the same dynasty. After his death, Queen Tusaret would rule Egypt as a queen for another year or so, two, maybe three years at the most. Tusaret was the last known ruler of the 19th dynasty. She is thought to have ruled for seven years, including six when she served as regent for Sipta, assuming the role of sole ruler and pharaoh upon Sipta's death. She is believed to have been the daughter of Merneptah, and maybe a sister of Amenmes. 
she may also have been Seti II's wife, which is all kind of interesting and a little bit boring at the same time. What's more interesting, at least in the terms of this podcast, is that during her reign, the Egyptian territories in Canaan seem to have become effectively independent, at the time under the governance of a man named Ursu. I'll cover the little we know about him in the next episode. Tusaret's reign ended in a civil war, attested to in the elephantine stele of her successor, Setnikt, who became the founder of the 20th dynasty. It's unknown if she was overthrown by Setnik or whether she died peacefully in her own reign. More on Setnik next week, too. She was interred in the Valley of the Kings, but her mummy was possibly removed by later rulers who attempted to erase her memory. A mummy was found in a different tomb that may be her, but the only evidence that points in this direction is that the mummy dates to the 19th dynasty. Other than that, her memory has been largely erased. And that's a good place to end this episode. Join me next week when I'll start with Ursu and then begin the 20th dynasty. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, please go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from and leave a positive review. For those of you that have, you are helping others to find the podcast. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, do subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.